Hello, my name is Finn and welcome to the Great Design Lead podcast. I'm a web designer and right now I'm helping real estate agencies build fun, creative websites. Perfect. Perfect intro on the first try. Look yes. at you. <laughs> okay. Okay. Happy about that. We're off to a good start. Perfect. Uh, you have been like all over the place. I've been seeing your, your Instagram stories and everything like that. Yeah. So yeah. The, the last, uh, basically ever since I left San Francisco, where we met, uh, yeah. I've been pretty nomadic. I, I've since discovered that the nomad lifestyle isn't for me uh, long-term, mm. although it has been very interesting and lots of cool experiences, uh, which we can, of course, uh, dig into today. Uh, but recently, yeah, I was in Egypt. I went to went to Italy as well. And I was looking for uh, signs with Giordano. <laughs> Giordano, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I wanted to use the... I want to tell someone that I, you know, I know Emily, but um, <laughs> I didn't get the chance because I didn't see any family businesses. But um, but yeah, so Italy was great. Went to Greece as well, and I'd say the highlight of this this nomadic trip I did was definitely Egypt. That was that was crazy. <laughs> I don't know. I've Portugal. never been there. Yeah, yeah, you're in Portugal now, but that's more like a home base for you, right? Yeah, Portugal is definitely uh, into anyone who. Is looking for a place which is it's interesting cultured uh but also safe and like a long-term base portugal is great uh so i've chosen my my current base is porto in the north of portugal a uh, great city so that's from coming at you today <laughs> <laughs> i i was actually thinking like while i was getting ready for this um i was thinking about how you and i met and i thought it was actually kind of funny um uh at least how I remember it, um, we were on that trolley. Um, it, it was like a, with a bunch of Webflow people. And we were going to some dinner that I had no idea where it was. I was just being escorted there by a bunch of people that I was friends with from Twitter and, and everything. And you were there with us, but I didn't see you. And I think Maria said, um, we're going to go to dinner and the Kiwis are going to be there. And I said, the Kiwis? And then you just like emerged out of the group and you're like, yeah, I'm friends <laughs> with them. I'm a Kiwi. And I'm like, really? <laughs> and then we got off of the trolley and then we were walking across the street and you're like, yeah, I know you from your podcast. And I said, really? I was just amazed that somebody knew me from from my podcast that I didn't like know from Twitter or something like that. And and I think I freaked you out a little bit because I like hit somebody next to us. I'm like, oh my God, it happened. Somebody knew me from my voice, <laughs> <laughs> not my face. <laughs> well, I, yeah. I, I did recognize your voice instantly, which was quite funny. Uh, so uh, yeah, and for anyone who's wondering who the Kiwis are, we're referring to Connor Finlayson and Nikolai Bain. Mm -hmm. uh, pretty sure they've both been on your podcast already, but... Uh, and I'm, I mean, I feel honored to just be like in hanging out with those guys because they're so talented and great at what they do. And that was just an amazing experience going to Webflow conference and uh, meeting everyone in person. And then obviously I, I knew about you before then. And I have this very, very vivid memory of when I discovered your podcast, I listened to two episodes in one day because it was a, it was a very hot, sunny day. This is back in New Zealand. Uh, where I where I grew up, where I live normally. And I was cleaning my dad's car because I went to clean my car and I spent about three and a half hours 
cleaning both my dad and my cars and I was listening to your podcast. That was when I discovered it. And it was, it was very, it's weird to think that back then, like I wouldn't have never have thought that I would actually meet you, let alone go on the podcast. So it, it is a huge honor to be here. And, and, and yeah, I've also heard that you're quite a good researcher. So I'm very excited about uh, potential things that you're going to surprise me with a few curveballs. So, uh, I've had some time. I've had like, like since November. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's been a lot, a lot has happened. And, um, and yeah, there, there is one thing that I was thinking you might find of me, which is when anybody types in my name to Google, uh, one of the first things that comes up, uh, or maybe, no, it's, it's into YouTube. Yeah. Either YouTube or Google, one of the search engines, uh, my Muay Thai fight is the first thing that comes up and mm. it always gets the best SEO. I don't know, do not know why, but uh, the first thing everyone finds out about me is that I, I had a Muay Thai fight. So uh, you probably found that, but um, but yeah, it's certainly very interesting to see where the conversation goes. Can, can you tell me about that one? Okay, so I'm very passionate about martial arts and I have a lot of passions, but one of the first ones that I discovered like before design, it was, I really liked uh, doing martial arts, but this was when I was like 18. So I wasn't like super young or anything. I, when I was growing up, I didn't really have that many passions, but when I hit 18, I decided that I wanted to do martial arts, that I was interested in business, a lot of these things as well. So kind of like a late bloomer in terms of finding my passions but anyway, to get back to this one about martial arts, yeah, I started out doing jujitsu and just like submission wrestling, a lot of fun and really good when you have a creative problem, when you're working on a client project, you have a bit of a creative block. <laughs> Going to training is a really good therapy for me and great for my mental health. And so that's jujitsu, but also Muay Thai. My brother was getting into striking and we started training with these guys and that eventually got the chance to fight on a Muay Thai card, which was one of the most scary experiences of my life because basically really? you have three months to train to get in the ring with uh, so, some other guy who you don't know, but you know that he's training. And you, when you go to sleep at night, you're wondering, is, is he training harder than me? He's going <laughs> to knock me out. I don't know. This is like a real fight. And then at the end of the training, you, you've been training for three months and you step into the ring in front of, a couple hundred people, your friends, and you just go to war and it's absolutely crazy. It's a really, really weird experience, but glad I did it. Mm -hmm. uh, and currently just sticking with the wrestling and the jujitsu, but, um, but yeah, if anybody wants to see me fight someone, uh, if you type in my name to Google, my, my fight will be the first thing to come up. So, <laughs> so yeah, that's kind of the story behind that. Do you remember um, the night before the fight, what you were feeling? Well, the, the night before and basically the last month running up to the fight, I was, I was, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say I was insomniac, but I was definitely uh, really worried about my opponent, like how hard he was training. Was he going to knock me out? Was, was I going to be able to win? Uh, it was just a very, very scary experience. But um, actually, one of the interesting things about that experience is that after the fight, I actually 
spoiler alert, I, I won the fight, not by knockout, but I I got a, the ref stopped the fight because the guy wasn't defending himself intelligently, I guess is the mm. correct terminology. And then the accounts for 10 seconds. And by the time the 10 seconds were up, the round had ended for the final round. So I, I did get the win. But afterwards, I really didn't feel happy. Like I actually felt quite sad because mm. I, I guess something about me is I, I can be quite a, uh, I guess, in a way, empathetic person. And in some ways, I think if I'm being honest with myself, I can also be unempathetic and kind of like quite focused. But in terms of the fight, I really felt bad for having that, that someone else had to lose, that the other guy who had been training just as hard as I had, it was also his first fight and he lost and it's because of me. And I felt bad about that. So after the fight, like we had a chat, it was real nice, he's a super nice guy. And we like, and that made it all the worse. Cause I was like, damn, this guy's just a nice, normal guy. And I, I was punching him in the face. I made his nose bleed. <laughs> like, okay, that's interesting. So I guess that was something else I learned about myself is that I'm not that kind of a fighter. I, I don't want to be a, someone that hurts other people. So, so yeah, that was something I wasn't expecting to come from that. I mean, how would you have known beforehand? I mean, I'm sure like, I don't know, a, a fight is different than, than training and sparring and everything like that. You wouldn't have known how yeah, you would totally. feel until you actually did it. Yeah, I'd done lots of training before then. We had done uh, kickboxing, sparring in, in class. I'd never been in any street fights or like, there was, there's, in, in New Zealand, we play rugby, which is kind of like, uh, it's sort of similar to like uh, American football, uh, a few different rule changes, but it's kind of the same thing. You know, when you're playing, you can get, it is an aggressive game. And so there's been a couple of rugby matches where there's been some pushing and shoving, but mm-hmm. I never really actually been in a real fight before. And this mm-hmm. was in the training room, but there's something about stepping into a fight where no one's telling you to hold back that mm-hmm. it's just a different different experience but but yeah you're you're exactly right i would have never have known until doing it and now that i have done it now i know do you do you do you remember every moment or is it kind of like a blur of that, that it was fight? a blur for sure yeah totally a blur yeah like i think when we do things that really scare us and that really bring us into the moment there's often your brain kind of goes into in, in the case of a fight re, like your reptile brain kicks in and you're not really able to process memory i don't think i mean i'm not a, mm-hmm. i don't really know the science behind it but i know the physical experience of it and from what i can say it's all a blur yeah totally maybe in terms of a designer like when they go to give their their design presentation or their design pitch uh, afterwards you don't actually remember where the time went or what what happened it's like <laughs> oh it's over now and um and yeah so so yeah i don't remember the fight really i can see the video and i'm like oh i remember that but but you're totally right it's that's all a blur is it like like tunnel vision a little bit tunnel vision so what do you mean by tunnel vision like tunnel vision is like um uh like 
almost as if you're going through a, t- a tunnel. Like all you can really see is what's in front of you. All you're really focused on is the moment. You're not like really fully present. Right. Well, yes, I would say in terms of tunnel vision, like I couldn't hear certain things, like my, my hearing shut off basically. Like I could hear, like if I wanted to hear something, I could, but it was like, I could see and I could feel, but that was it. And Mm -hmm. it was like fighting for fighting for my life. And I guess that's what happens when you have that fight or flight response Mm -hmm. where you're, you're making a conscious decision to step into the fight response of that. Cause it's not like you're going to run outside the ring. Yeah. But, but yeah, I, I think experiencing that tunnel vision and that stress and that pressure definitely has helped me in my life. And one thing that I think is really important for people, especially young people, but people that are, want to progress and develop themselves is to constantly be seeking new challenges and they don't necessarily have to be around your career to mm-hmm. make a good impact on your career. So it's like, okay, you could uh, do design related things to become a better designer or a developer, whatever that's true. But if you took a Muay Thai fight or you went traveling and did some, maybe like a skydive, if you're into that, I would never do a skydive, but <laughs> Just anything that challenges you. Maybe that's why I should do one. But (laughs) my point is, is that you might not see any direct link to or any direct benefit to your career and your own personal development. But for me, it's been huge. All the life experiences I've had, I've been so lucky to have had the opportunities. But also part of it's been me seeking those out, which is Mm -hmm. leaving my comfort zone, trying my best to find new ways to to gain life experience and now i'm lucky enough that my career is becoming part of that as a freelancer we we have to constantly uh, run our own businesses and also figure things out and it's definitely been very stressful but very rewarding at the same time and obviously after every year it gets easier and you get more experience but it's, it's something about making your own money, not having a regular paycheck. These things definitely uh, build a sort of mental toughness, just the same way that stepping into a Muay Thai uh, uh, boxing fight would, or going traveling, public speaking. Uh, these are all kinds of things that I've been doing and it's had a massive impact on me. I think for sure. I think it's, it's it comes from the same place even if it's in different things like um i don't know sometimes i look back on things in my life and uh um i think the closest thing i ever had to that like reptile brain moment was um uh i was a lifeguard and there were these like little little kids that went down a slide into a like i don't know 12 feet depth pool which is like very deep um and i don't know maybe it's like uh three meters or something like that um and so i remember seeing them and i remember kind of like blacking out or like i don't really remember much but like i went to go get them out of the pool and everything like that and i just remember like your body just goes into autopilot of okay well like this is what we got to do now because this is the most important thing in front of me these like little kids that are drowning it was so scary but yeah closest thing i've experienced probably 
Yeah, that, I mean, there's all kinds of things that can trigger your body to go into that state of, of fight or flight. Like one really clear experience for me was uh, when I was living in Brazil, I was living in Rio and I don't want to make people not want to go to Rio, but there has been some scary things that have happened to me when I was living there. Mm -hmm. It's very, very safe. If you, or it's safe. If you know, if, if you are responsible and don't do silly things, but mm -hmm. One example of something that you probably shouldn't do in Rio is go walking at night by yourself in even the nicer neighborhoods. If you're walking by yourself, quite clearly a foreigner, you can be robbed. And so on my fourth day when I was living in Brazil, uh, I was walking, I got the bus home back from a, a block party. It was during carnival time. And I got off my bus just two stops early. So I was very close to home, like maybe 10 minutes walking, but uh, I, I should have got off two stops after because I got off the stops. I had to walk the rest of the way by myself. And at this point, being four days into living in Rio, I'm still very gringo. So I got the classic gringo uh, tennis shoes, the shorts, the, I guess they would call my hair blonde. Uh, <laughs> I was looking very, very like a fish out of water. So these, I see these guys, who was standing on a corner and I was like, oh, they look a little bit dodgy, but <laughs> this is someone, you know, I grew up in New Zealand. It's very safe. And so I thought, well, you know, if I just walk on the other side of the street, they're not going to bother me. Right. So <laughs> that's what I thought. But then I, I walked on the side of the street and they, they saw me and they, they started walking quite quickly towards me and made a semicircle around me. So then I was actually, trapped in this corner of the street and there wasn't anybody else around maybe like one block away but no one could really help me so I knew exactly what was going on but like your experience I just went on autopilot I froze I was like oh shit and these guys about six of them and they were young like age, the youngest might have been seven the oldest might have been 16 or 17 so these were just mm -hmm. kids and they all six of them pulled out knives and they were like kind of small kitchen knives didn't regardless didn't want to get stabbed by any of those rusty blades yeah. they had so i was just immediately just said hey like i don't want any trouble and they were like one kid was really swearing at me i at that point my portuguese wasn't the best but i could tell he was like tearing into me saying all kinds of obscene things and this other bigger dude, he was more experienced. He was very calm. He was like, hey, look, we're not going to hurt you, but we just need to, you to give everything that you have. So I get them my school bag, my phone, my wallet. I think I had maybe like $10 worth of money in there. So it wasn't that much. And I didn't have my passport or any cards on me. So I was very lucky in the fact that they didn't really get uh, any of my personal information. But I was still very scared from that experience and I was walking home. I was very angry at myself because I had been stupid enough to let that happen or if I maybe I could have done something. But I learned my lesson and it's another, it goes into the bank of life experiences, you know. You've got to be careful where you walk sometimes. Not everywhere is safe like where you grew up. And actually, because you're from Philly and is it? I, I've heard there are rough areas of Philly, right? Like 
So I grew up in a in a kind of a safer part an hour north of Philly, but I've been living in Philly for about six years. And so, yeah, I, I could tell you some crazy stories that happened like right outside my window. It's it's kind of crazy. But yeah, really? Philly, wow. Philly's quite uh can be quite rough, but it's like it's the weird thing about Philadelphia is like it's really different block to block. So one block might be super dangerous and literally you walk five minutes and then another area is safe. It's very strange. Yeah. Okay, so your block is my is block. Like okay, so the front of my apartment building is fairly safe. The back of my apartment building is not very safe. <laughs> so what? Yeah, wow. <laughs> literally, it's like a dividing line of like like safe seventy five percent of the time, and then <laughs> not safe in the back. Yeah, it's and it's it's mostly between people that know each other though. Um, so. Knock on wood, um, people don't really bother me that much. <laughs> well, I hope your washing line's not in the dangerous side, or you should have to go there as much. <laughs> yeah. But um, but yeah, like I guess from from my perspective, growing up in New Zealand, it's there. It's pretty safe in most places. There is at the top of my like so where I was living in Wellington, there is quite a a prevalent of like gang presence there. And there's actually a, a meeting house on the top of my hill. And so often really? I'd be like cleaning my dad's car in, in the front of the garden or whatever, listening to the great design lead podcast. And then <laughs> I I'll look up and there's like this like group of 15 bikers go up, massive dudes on bikes going to the gang house and never had any problems, but it's just always been there since I was growing up. And so mm-hmm. I guess it's uh yeah got a couple of cars have been broken into someone stole a surfboard from <laughs> this is a funny story someone stole the surfboard from my dad's basement basically and we've been going surfing at our lo- local surf spot all our lives and we had this board that was it's like a normal regular surfboard except it had this word peak on it, P-E-A-K. Mm-hmm. So like peak was the brand. Yeah. And so the, the board got stolen. And then two months later, my dad was out surfing and there's some guy surfing on the board. And so I don't know what my dad did. I don't think he did anything, but it was clearly someone had either sold the board to that person because I don't know why he would steal someone's surfboard then go surfing at the exact same spot that they would because that's <laughs> leading to a, a different type of fight on the beach. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, so we had the odd things stolen, but generally it was quite safe when I grew up. And so yeah. uh, then going to Brazil was me learning that some places aren't as safe and you've got to be careful. So, so yeah, it's just another life experience and the kind of things that happen to you when you're traveling, mm-hmm. I think traveling is a really, really good way. It's a really valuable experience for, for anyone to have, especially young people. And because you've been to Europe, right? You said you went to Italy. Yeah. I've, I went to Serbia twice and I went to Italy once. That's right. Serbia. Yeah. That, that must've been unique because often Eastern Europe isn't explored as much as Western Europe, at least coming from New Zealand. Like mm. most New Zealanders, 
would come to Europe. They would go like London, Paris, uh, probably Madrid, these big places, Rome. But you went to Serbia, which is really cool because it's it's not like a a really I wouldn't say it's like a hugely popular country for Westerners outside of Europe to go to. But what did you think of it? Did you what did you experience there that you that maybe helped you grow or or anything? Oh my god. Uh <laughs> I I think the the month in Serbia was the the most important trip I've ever taken in my life for sure. Um okay. So it was it was it was really important. Um uh I I I don't I think I yeah I think I talked to you a little bit about this in person like uh, I I went there when I was at like a crossroads in my life and so I went there to spend some time by myself and think things over like about my career and my personal life and everything like that and uh, but yeah it was really crazy like I realized that I love hearing American accents and if I don't hear American accents for an extended period of time. I like crave it. So that's an interesting <laughs> thing to learn about yourself. <laughs> and um, what else? Um, I, I think that the, that, that Serbians are like really um, great at hospitality and make me feel very welcome. And um, really, yeah, I've yeah. heard one of the most famous, one of the most well-known things about uh, Eastern Europe and places like Serbia is that, they have terrible service, like in the <laughs> restaurants. And then in the US, you guys have really good service. So that's oh, funny yeah. you say that. Actually, you're into a good well, place. <laughs> yeah, I um actually I I went um to Niche in Serbia and I met um Uroš Mikic from uh from Flow Ninja. And oh, um, nice. yeah, oh, I awesome. went and visited him. I did an episode with him, and um uh he he took me out for. Uh, dinner with the people that were hosting me and um i also went to uh i went out for like drinks and a night out with him and his girlfriend and it it was just i don't know i could talk to you forever about that trip but it was it was so important and like by the time i came home i knew um pretty much what i wanted to do with, with at least the next like six months of my life and um i needed that alone time without people telling me what to do or um I don't know, feeling very foggy and decision making, but yeah, it was it was great. Highly recommend. <laughs> that is great, and like props to to Flo Ninja for taking you out. I've I've read his blog, and so yeah. that, that's cool. To so he's living in Serbia. Well, is is he Serbian? Yeah, yeah. Um. Cool. So yeah, he's very cool. Um. Uh. Uh. So um. I was staying in Belgrade for most of the time, but um. The people I was staying with, they they drove me out to Niche, which was like a two hour drive. Um, it was very cool, cool, cool place, cool city, great food. But when Urush walked into this restaurant, literally everybody knew him. It was it was quite funny. We sat down, he he'd wow. say hello to a bunch of people. Um, yeah, I don't know. It was he's he's such a good host, and and like the whole menu was in Cyrillic, so I didn't speak it, yep. and so he he was able to pick stuff out for me, and, and yeah great guy great host yeah <laughs> yeah and i guess like that part of the world has had such an interesting history and my my bloodline does play a part in that a little bit because my great great grandfather he he was 
he was Russian, but I think he was also like like modern day, what is Ukraine now? That was where he was living as well. So mm-hmm. I, he is Russian, but also you could say he's Ukrainian. But um, regardless, he, he, he has a really interesting life story as well because he was, this is going back to the late 1800s, early 1900s, where it was before the... Uh, the Bolshevik revolution. So I believe the Tsars was still running Russia at that point. And my great grandfather was, he was in the army and the Russian army was not a good place to be like (laughs) all kinds of like famine and dealing with uh, all kinds of uh, peasant uprisings. I believe he was in the South uh, doing stuff in mountains. Anyway, at some point his, one of his best friends who was with him in the army, I believe it was his best friend, he became really like mortally uh, wounded in the battle. I, we don't have very many details about how he was wounded or the, the story. But what we do know is that my great-grandfather carried him for about four miles to the nearest hospital or the nearest place he could be treated. And like one thing about the Russian army from history is that kind of like there's so many of them that when someone's wounded often they just won't get treated and so they just didn't treat uh, my great-grandfather's best friend he Mm. was heartbroken his friend died and that caused him to leave he fled the army illegally of course and he was also jewish so he we believe he might have been persecuted a little bit so he he left the army went to went on this massive trip across europe working as a shoemaker and just basically just scraping through by repairing shoes, sleeping under the the workbench where he was where he was working, and then eventually he found his way to to London, where he was in the street one day. He followed this band around the street and met my great great grandmother in the street when he was following this marching band, and they got married and then migrated to New Zealand. So, really? uh, so that's kind of like a a little reason why. I do want to visit Eastern Europe and I want to go to Russia one day, of course, after the war when it's safe is because I do have ancestry there. And I think going there would be kind of like a, almost like a pilgrimage to be like, okay, this is, this is where my great, great grandfather lived and the place he left behind. Is that, is, is your, your last name connected to that? Or is that a, no, a different last name um, within your family? So the the last name that he would have had was uh, Pomerantsev. And so mm. my grandmother has, and because when they came to New Zealand, they changed the name from Pomerantsev to Pomeroy, which is like the Anglicized version. And it mm-hmm. just sounds less Russian. So, because mm. I think they wanted to sort of, I guess integrate and so my grandmother has that name but i carry my grandfather's name which is dolomore and my grandfather like he he's the kind of guy that would make a story up for anything like <laughs> like he like he had all these stories that he would tell us and then my dad would tell me like you said like oh yeah that was complete bs like he was just <laughs> making something up to like be funny or something so, um, <laughs> and one of the stories, I don't know if it's true or not, but he says that the name Dolomore is 
like an evolution of de la mer, which is French from being from the sea. And so his theory is that we are descended from Vikings or something, or people (laughs) from the sea. So take that with a grain of salt, but uh, that's where apparently the name could come from. He said he spoke to a, an, an expert about the about the name and that's what he told him so so yeah it's kind of funny when you huh. thought it, i think it's cool that you know that your name is like it's italian it's like you can probably trace your name back quite a long way like is there any famous people from history that have the name giordano um so the the name itself means uh uh people of the jordan river so it's kind of like a like a catholic religious name um Okay. I don't know. Some people in history I've seen, um, I think there was like a musician or, I don't know, something, something artsy in Italian. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, it was like, I can, I can tell you, I, I really hope that you get to experience that time of like going back to where your family ancestry is from, because I got to go to Palermo in Italy and that's where my family's last name is from. Um, and so, yeah, just seeing signs and and everything was just, crazy like i i was walking around a lot of the time in Palermo by myself and um it's like a like a thing i always wanted was to be able to see some sort of signage with my last name and i walked into this um photography studio and there was a woman there with we had the same last name and i said uh, she only spoke italian i just said hi um then i pointed to myself and i said giordano and she said oh yes there are many giordanos here <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious but it was so i really hope that you get to experience that too because it's it's um it's wild especially when you grow up um someplace that's like kind of like a melting pot where a lot of people don't have like a direct connection it's not like i am polish and i've always lived in poland and i know so much about my culture and everything like that like growing up in america you're kind of like i vaguely know this but like i'm one i have like all of these different backgrounds and stuff like that being able to go to where like your grandparents are from or great grandparents it's just it's a wild experience yeah yeah totally when you can travel with having some sort of like deeper meaning to it like okay maybe i want to go to you know the maldives so i can have a relaxing holiday i can swim in crystal clear blue water (laughs) but there's some places that you might go to where it's it's cold it's rainy it's there's nothing there or whatever but there is some deeper meaning that's important to you and that's why you're going there so so yeah i guess i'm interested to see where that pans out and when the war's over then i'll be able to go and and visit russia yeah oh my gosh yeah you, you should talk to um uh uh oh the name is coming to me oh my gosh how am i forgetting her name oh i feel so bad that i'm forgetting her name uh i can picture her face sometimes i can picture their face absolutely <laughs> perfectly but the name one of my podcast guests um she did um her like college internship in um st petersburg um and like oh, she was, okay. she went to school for for uh, business and everything like that. And uh, she spent, I think, six months in in Russia, speaking Russian, like working there. And she's like from the Midwest in in the U.S. Oh. And so she said it was a very cool experience, and she hopes that um, more people have the opportunity to to go to that country and just like 
I don't know, just ex- experience a culture that's very different um, because it's just a very unique place. Totally. And learning to speak Russian, like how cool is that? Like such a crazy different language to English. And because I guess another topic that I'm really interested in is language learning. Yeah. And like Russian, Russian and Chinese are like two languages that are like known to be super hard. I think like Finnish, Norwegian as well. But yeah, Russian has that crazy looking alphabet, which is just looks totally badass if you know how to write in that. <laughs> yeah, I, I, um, uh, I, I knew someone who uh, would be able to read and write in Cyrillic and uh, and like I know English uh, writing. And um, I, I remember just seeing stuff, and I'm like, why do you? Why is there a random three in this? <laughs> like when some, <laughs> some like phrases, one of their letters like looks like the number three, and I'm like, what is happening here? But yeah, it's just I don't know. It's very wild, and yeah, and going going to Serbia, going to Eastern Europe, and seeing like all of these street signs and everything like in Cyrillic was very interesting. And I remember when when you and I met, you were telling me um, that like uh, learning languages was kind of like a I don't know, just an interest for you or, or a hobby. You're like, yeah, well, like I can speak Portuguese, and and like randomly, I, we would be like in a group, and then you would just walk off and just start speaking a different language. And I think I remember Nikolai pointing to you, and he's like, oh, he's doing it again, <laughs> language <laughs> switching again. Like, was that was that span like is it Spanish and Portuguese or like what what languages do you speak uh so i speak spanish and portuguese yes uh i think the time when nikolai was was there is this is at webflow conference and yeah. i had just met some guys from FinSuite because a bunch of their webflow developers are from brazil mm-hmm. and i can just tell like just by looking at them i was like oh they look kind of brazilian but i'm not sure yet and then when they spoke i was like okay <laughs> probably a good shot that they're from brazil so i just started speaking portuguese and yeah, yeah. They, they were in fact from i think they were from sao paulo uh which i have visited but and so they have like a slightly different accent because i learned portuguese in rio de janeiro and so they mm-hmm. have a slightly different accent to to sao paulo and of course brazil is such a big country like oh my gosh, it would take you so long to visit everywhere in Brazil, just of how big it is. I think it's, I think it's just as big as the US, like just really, really big. And, and yes, yeah, so I think I, did I speak Spanish at Webflow conference? I don't. I think you were talking to um, uh, Marcelo. Oh, I, oh yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So this, so when, so yeah, that I totally forgot about that. Uh, Marcelo is a super lovely guy and uh, he was very welcoming to me because the day after Webflow conference I he invited me to go with him and the rest of his agency to Silicon Valley and we just drove around and uh, I think he had hired a Tesla there was a, there was a spare seat and of course I could speak Spanish because they were all speaking in Spanish because they're from Argentina so yeah I was able to keep up and it was, yeah, it's just situations like that where languages come in really handy because sometimes there's going to be a car full of people and they want to speak their language. And obviously to make them all speak in English is going to like slow them down. And there's only one of me. 
So, mm-hmm. and, and, and they would explain some things in English to me because we did, I was asking them about business questions as well and about uh, d- design agencies. And so they were very generous with their knowledge and to just take me in for the, for the ride. So uh, thanks to Marcelo and I uh, hope to see him again one day. What was the language that you learned first? Like outside, obviously outside of English. Um, was it the, like moving to Brazil? Was that the first experience? So my first overseas experience was in Chile, actually. Mm-hmm. So when I, I had just turned 17 and I got on really well with the exchange students in my, in my high school. And so I was like, I would like to be an exchange student one day as well. Mm-hmm. And what I decided to do was I signed up for a Rotary Youth Exchange and I wanted to go to Spain first, but my options were one, Spain, two, Venezuela, and then mm-hmm. three, Chile. And so I got Chile. So when I was 17, I was whisked off to Chile for one year of high school, living in a small Chilean town, which was, it was my first like real, like crazy experience. Like I'm just leaving I've never really left New Zealand very much before. I'm going to live and study in a country where I don't know the language very much. I'm going to be living with a host family. I don't know anybody where I'm going. It was like very, very scary. Now I've done that a few times where I'm kind of comfortable with not going to a place where I know anybody because it's almost like an opportunity to reinvent myself. It's, It's exciting. There's new things and experiences waiting for me there. But back when I was 17, I had no idea what I was throwing myself into. And so I arrived in Chile and in Chile, they speak a very, it's, it's a very Chilean type of Spanish. It's not like, I guess you could compare it a little bit to like Scottish English. Like, oh, it's still interesting. English, yeah. But it's like, it's quite a strong, they have a lot of slang and a sort of an accent. So I had learned Spanish for a few years before that in high school, but classic high school Spanish, like there's nothing that's going to prepare you for going on exchange, least of all Chile. So I was sitting at my dinner table. Everyone's laughing when they're telling stories. I'm also laughing, but I don't know what I'm laughing at. I'm just trying to fit in. And it's, it's, uh, that was, that challenged me in a lot of ways because of just how different things are in South America. Like, one thing that I couldn't really get over was the fact that they had my host family who absolutely lovely. Um, they had a, like a maid that would come and do the cooking and cleaning and would like clean my room and stuff. And for me, I was really like, I don't know if like, why does she have to clean my room? Like, I can do that. Like, she doesn't need to mm. do that for me. And I was kind of like, I was, I was trying to be, how can I put this? Like, I, I felt bad in the way that she would have to do that. And I was like, no, no, I can, I can do it myself. Like, I don't need that to happen. And so I was trying to be, I guess, independent, but really I was just making her job harder now in hindsight. Oh. And so I should just like, uh, I mean, I, I didn't stop her or anything, but I just remember being like grumpy when she would come into my room. And uh, <laughs> so I guess as a grumpy teenager. And so, yeah, when I was in Chile, I was, learning Spanish and I was doing my classes in Spanish, which really helps because it's so easy to 
just hang out with internationals. And you can do that, obviously. And I, of course, did that. But when you're doing studying and you're, you're doing class projects, you listen to the teacher's lectures every day, you do get a good understanding quite quickly. And I was there for a whole year. So this built up. And by the end of it, I was, I was fluent in Spanish. Uh, I had a girlfriend there for seven months. That was definitely uh, like putting my Spanish to the test. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I think if you really want to reach fluent level, dating someone in that language is, <laughs> is, is highly recommended because that's how you can really, uh, I mean, you got to discuss emotions, past tense, future tense, like yeah. all kind. you got to plan dates, like all this stuff. And it helps you, helps with your language. So, so yeah, that was, that was where I learned Spanish, but, but now it's, it's really served me through my travels because when you go to any hostel as an international, you find there's always a lot of South Americans there. Like everywhere you hmm. go, there's lots of South Americans. So I mean, I can make friends pretty easy. And then when I lived in Barcelona last year, because when I came to Wiplo conference at that point, yeah. I was actually living in Barcelona and, and yeah, so, so yeah, Spanish is a great language to learn. And then there's Portuguese, which is also, it is very useful. There's less countries that speak it. So obviously Brazil and Portugal, but there's also Angola, Mozambique, uh, East Timor. Uh, I think there's some other ones I'm probably missing, but Brazil alone has, I believe, like, Nearly, nearly 300 million people there's a lot of brazilians in the world and so you're often going to be hearing them speak portuguese in the street and now i know how to understand it so that's also quite useful portuguese is is a special language for me because it's not as common as spanish and not as widely spoken at least in new zealand and so uh currently living in portugal it is it's nice to be able to understand the local people here it's it's really nice. And um, had this funny experience at my new co-working. I just joined a new co-working here. And mm -hmm. it's my first co-working. And there's this guy, I think he's from France, really nice guy. And he asked me if I spoke Portuguese. And I said, yep. And I don't think he believed me. And so <laughs> it was like, uh, and this is like all of us at like having lunch together, maybe like six of us. And he's like, he starts speaking in Portuguese. He's like, oh, okay, so we can speak in Portuguese then. And I was like, yep, okay. So I just keep talking. And turns out his Portuguese was okay, but uh, <laughs> he wasn't really able to keep up. And so the Portuguese girl that was sitting next to him, she was like, oh, you regretted that, didn't you? So it was kind of, kind of a funny How'd that feel? That was, it was just quite funny. And, um, and yeah, so I'm definitely looking to make a lot of new Portuguese friends here. My best friend is Portuguese, so that's why I've I've come here is because uh, he showed me the city Porto, which is such an amazing city. Oh my gosh, it's one of my favorite cities in Europe, especially for living, mm -hmm. because Barcelona is like the one that everyone talks about. Like Barcelona is the best place in Europe, and I mean, there's a lot of it depends what you like, but from people that I've talked to. Barcelona seems to be the one that crops up the most as being at the moment, the best place to live. And mm. I lived there for two months and it is really good. It's an amazing lifestyle, but it's almost too good 
because you're there's so many parties, so many interesting people. We threw this this uh, massive house party at the end of our two months there because it was four guys. We were running this what's called like a growth house. So we knew each other from being digital nomads, and we're like, let's let's go to Barcelona, and we really want to help each other, you know, professionally and socially, and like run. Uh, cool events by teaching each other things and basically this concept of a growth house where you're all living together in like a flat but there's sort of a bit of purpose behind everything you have like a weekly dinner we always have like a weekly party or weekly sort of trip to the park it was a really cool experience and we ended the whole thing on this massive party where we invited everyone that we knew and well, that was that was quite a night because I I had to leave the party at three a.m. because I was pretty hammered, so I had to go <laughs> uh, stay at a friend's house. But they the party kept going till six thirty a.m. and there was lots of noise complaints the next day. But luckily, we were moving out, so we didn't have to deal with that. But we got a bit of a slap on the wrist for that. And so Barcelona, my experience was a lot of fun, but maybe un- unsustainable for, for long periods <laughs> of time. So Porto is much more uh, relaxed and it's much more like my city, Wellington, yeah. back in New Zealand. So I do feel like I'm at home here. Huh. Can I ask you what your parents thought about you moving away at 17 for a year for this first experience of yours? Ah, uh, yes. Well, they were very supportive, actually. Yeah. So my, like, my mom obviously really missed me and she's currently living in Australia. And I think it's kind of to, to know what they were thinking because we did talk, but it's hard to know how they were feeling. My dad, he, we, we, I would talk to my dad maybe slightly less, but I am very, very close with my dad. Mm-hmm. My brother definitely missed me a lot and I missed him a lot, but it's, it's easier being the person who's leaving because mm-hmm. you're sort of going into a new experience, whereas they have the same experience just without you. So it's, I, I was the lucky one leaving and going to have the crazy experience. But for, for New Zealanders, exchange isn't a very common thing. Like mm-hmm. here in Europe, they have Erasmus where it's so common to meet Erasmus students where they're studying, they get paid to study in a different city. Like what an amazing, really? what an amazing opportunity that is. Uh, yeah. And like they receive like an allowance because it's a scholarship. And obviously in Europe, you can just take a train and be in a different country. Like, for me, that's absolutely unthinkable. Like New Zealand's an isolated island. You've got to fly three hours on a plane to get to Australia. And so for me, the concept of training to a different country is just really foreign. And in general, I think New Zealanders do the classic Euro tour of Western Europe. And then they sort of settle back down in New Zealand. Some of us do stay overseas. There are a lot of New Zealanders Mm -hmm. all over the world, but I would say it's quite a, it's quite a reserved culture being from, from New Zealand. 
And mm. so bringing that back to my parents, they had traveled, of course, but they hadn't done anything like go to South America or study overseas or live there for like living in Australia is basically like living. It would be like a Canadian going to live in the U S it's like, mm. okay, it's different, but not really, not really. That different yeah. compared to going to Brazil or something. So yeah, yeah I'm like, you, Oh yeah, yeah, I, I, as an American, I don't consider uh, Canada as a list of foreign countries that I've been to. When people ask me like, "What countries have you been to?" Like, Canada is one of them, but I don't list it because I'm just like, it's not that different. <laughs> um, yeah, if you yeah. start with Canada, it's like, ah, uh, there's probably not many other places. <laughs> as an American, yeah, for sure. <laughs> if you could, uh, Americans are like, if you could drive there. It's not different. <laughs> <laughs> what about Mexico? Have you been to Mexico? Um, no, I haven't. I've been to New Mexico, um, but I haven't been to Mexico, Mexico. <laughs> to the New Mexico. Okay. That, that's yeah. different to the, the original Mexico. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I've also been to New Mexico, actually. Yeah. I, so I, the first time I visited the U.S. was I had a friend of mine that I met on exchange in Chile. Mm -hmm. He was the only other native English speaker that I knew in the town. And his name was also Finn. So of course we were going to be, we we're, we're going to be friends. And <laughs> this is, uh, he's such a character. He's got like a very strong personality. He's like my opposite, basically. Really? I'd say I'm quite re reserved and often quite introverted. And he's very extroverted and very very loud uh i haven't seen him and last time i saw him was when i went to 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 the u.s to see him graduate high school Aww. and so basically he was graduating high school this is in el paso texas so very mm -hmm. uh not exactly new york or, or san francisco but <laughs> no not at all <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's it's funny when I was telling people before I'd come to Webflow conference that the only place I'd been to in the U.S. was El Paso, Texas, which was true. <laughs> so I I mean I, I'd stopped over in L.A. for a few hours, but that doesn't really count. But I spent three weeks in El Paso, and it was so hot. I came from the <laughs> middle of the middle of New Zealand winter, which wow. to be fair isn't that bad. But yeah, I guess. Uh, it's just quite cold and miserable there. And then going to El Paso in the middle of the summer was, that was like next level heat for me. And <laughs> I, that was one of the most unique experiences of my life because I know that in, in the US, you guys have a very, um, and maybe it varies from state to state, but at least yeah. in Texas, graduating high school is a big deal. And they have like a whole week of rituals, parties, events that happen to celebrate graduation mm -hmm. and Finn had told me this when, when I, when I basically booked my trip and he was like, dude, we're going to have so much fun. There's all these things that we're going to do. I guess I can tell maybe a couple of stories, like <laughs> some oh, funny. I love stories. <laughs> okay. So I had obviously seen the U S from movies, but I was very excited to be finally visiting. And I think I was, I was 19, so I wasn't old enough to drink yet. And so this was just like, like my, my friend told me that I needed to get a fake ID because 
Otherwise, I wasn't going to be able to get into any bars. And so I was like, <laughs> okay. And it wasn't like a big deal for me because we can drink at 18 in New Zealand. So I was like, well, I, I've been drinking for a year anyway. So, uh, so no big deal. But mm -hmm. I was so close to getting a fake ID, but then I had to buy it in Bitcoin. And I was like, I don't have any Bitcoin. Ah. I was like, oh, screw this. So I, but I would love to have just a fake ID as like a souvenir. <laughs> like, I don't know, I'm from California or something. <laughs> um, I'm just coming in from out of state, you know? Uh, <laughs> With that accent. <laughs> They're like, are you sure you're out of state or out of country? <laughs> um, I cannot do any American accent <laughs> at all. But, uh, so I wouldn't have been able to pull it off even if I had gotten my fake ID. But anyway, so I had, I arrived to US, I was very excited and... Well, one of the things that we did was go and shoot guns, which was really, really crazy. Because for me, uh, obviously in New Zealand, we don't really have guns. And so when my friend took me to his friend's house and he had had this crazy memory of going into the garage of this massive, it was like a mansion, and there's a bright red Ferrari parked in front of this gun cabinet. And <laughs> this... <laughs> This friend of my friends, he opens up the armory and there's just all these guns around. I was like, oh my God, this is crazy. And he takes up an AK-47 and he's like, here, you hold the AK. And he just chucks me an AK and I'm like, holy like, shit. I'm and you were 17. Wait, wait, how old were you? 18? No, no, you said 19. 19. 19. Oh my God. It's like yeah, you just walked into GTA. <laughs> yeah, it was like GTA. And... And so we went to go shooting and that was when we went to New Mexico because El Paso is right on the border of like Mexico and New Mexico. Mm -hmm. And so we drove into the desert, went shooting. Uh, I have had some, I posted on, on my Instagram, just we're shooting these, uh, so we bought a pack of cheap cola and then we had a shotgun as well. So throw up the cola, shoot it. It was a lot of fun. And okay, here's another story, which was one of my favorite parties I've been to. So I guess if there's anyone from El Paso listening, then they'll know that uh, that when there's the graduation week, um, there's this. Yeah. Oh, I thought that was a question. A, oh, no, <laughs> no, no, no. Was, I'm like, oh, I don't know what time was. You, you continue. <laughs> Sorry, that was a question. Like, you're like, does he expect me to guess? Like, I don't know. <laughs> So there's this party that they that's held by one of the schools in El Paso, and there's this this place in the desert that they call, I think it's called like the end of the world or something. Like it's got this really epic, crazy name, the end of the world or something. And it's this it's this big circle that's like the the desert out there has little bushes growing. There's like some vegetation, but for some reason there's this giant circle with nothing growing in there. And I think they told me that it could have been from like a nuclear test or something, probably just a story. But anyway, there's this tradition that one of the schools has is they host a party there on the graduation week where it, all the schools are invited and everyone drives out into the desert in like their big American like Dodge Rams and these like classic cars. And Ford F-150. <laughs> Yeah, like yeah. pickup trucks. <laughs> yeah. It's like so American for me. And they make this giant fire 
in the middle of a circle and everyone parks their 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 trucks uh with the back like the the boot facing towards the fire and mm -hmm. i think there must have been over a hundred uh trucks there like it was it was massive wow. it's not like you can just like like a small circle like it was a massive circle and they told me that the year before that the the a police helicopter had been called on the party because it got that big and in the middle of this big circle there's a stack of pallets that this guy's throwing petrol on and lights up this massive fire everyone's cracking open beers it was a great time and that was a a really fond memory i have of just being in the desert and uh yeah just lots of beers um <laughs> it was so that was uh okay and one more story so yeah, of course when i was quite i was this is one moment i got kind of freaked out because uh we at el paso high school they often have this like tradition where the seniors stay the night on the football pitch they've got this quite mm -hmm. impressive sized football pitch and you go and stay there till the sunrise it's like a tradition so we stopped in to go to this little gathering there we didn't stay the night but we were just sitting down talking everything was chill but then suddenly there's like this police officer parks up and we're like okay kind of like sketchy whatever then another police officer parks up and then a SWAT van parks up and suddenly there's within about like 10 minutes I think there was like there was definitely multiple police cars but like a SWAT van and these cops just started like standing alongside like on the top of the football pitch like the the bleachers and so we're basically getting surrounded and I was like okay what is what have we done wrong like is this normal yeah and yeah the, the and I was kind of looking around to see like the other people like are they also wondering what's going on here and they didn't know what was going on and one police officer walks down to like come meet us and so they sent like the guy who was uh, going to Harvard, you know, the, the guy who was very, very good and good at talking. So he could, uh, Oh, you, you sent, you sent the Harvard guy to go talk to the, yeah, well, cause <laughs> some people were smoking weed, so they didn't oh, want no. anyone to uh, get too close. Yeah. And so, uh, basically the guy comes back and he's like, Oh, don't worry. They're just going to be running a shooting drill in the school. And what they turns out they were doing is they were just like practicing for a school shooting and so it was nighttime yeah. and hit like the police officer was just coming down to tell us hey look, don't be freaked out if you hear flashbangs or gunshots because we're going to be running an exercise inside el paso high school yeah and so uh then we're just sitting there and there was like explosions going off and like gunfire it was really funny like i for me it was like what is going on <laughs> yeah because that's not so, normal for you guys you guys didn't grow up with like school shooting drills and stuff like that right no we've never done yeah. a, a school shooting drill but is that quite common in the u.s to do it like a, a, a shooting drill uh yeah yeah so like we would do it probably four times a year at least um where like wow. uh yeah we would uh because everybody would like get under their tables and um we had like a whole setup on, on what to do like we'd have uh bomb drills too stuff like that wow, that's very normal for me drills <laughs> we had those too yeah. sounds like <laughs> but less we, we, had, we had earthquake drills way less than than like attack drills 
Have yeah. you been in the earthquake before? Um, we had a very small one uh, um, in Orfield, Pennsylvania, where I'm from. But uh, have you? I'm guessing Chile. Of course, you've probably experienced little ones. Yeah, I in Chile, for sure. But also in New Zealand, we have a lot of earthquakes. And the last quite big earthquake that hit New Zealand, well, I don't think it's the last. Like there was a, there was quite a, a big one that hit Wellington, my city, when I was in mm. Chile. So I missed it. Mm. But apparently, like my family had to evacuate their their neighborhood, and really, uh, they there was like traffic jams, and people were trying to like basically evacuate because it was a tsunami risk, but like most cases there's no tsunami like mm. it's very it's very rare to get a tsunami in new zealand that's dangerous but i think it mm -hmm. has happened before but yeah like being in an earthquake is i love it like it's it's, it's so exciting because <laughs> it's like it's scary but literally yeah. the whole earth is shaking beneath your feet and the whole house is rumbling and your books are falling off the shelf i, I really i do like enjoy a safe one <laughs> a safe yeah. like low level one yeah yeah there were two earthquakes in new zealand that were quite big and i think there was like a few hundred people that died overall really? from the two earthquakes uh oh yeah like people actually were killed and there's actually been i'm terrible with news but i believe there's been a really big earthquake recently in in turkey is it uh yeah 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 so i mean they you know, when they're bad, they can cause a lot of damage. So yeah. Yeah. But my, um, um my really good friend, uh, uh, he's from Puerto Rico and his dad, um, had business in Chile and they moved to Chile, I think for maybe two years or so when he was in high school. So there's a chance that you guys were there at the same time. Um, just maybe okay. like in different places. Um, what, what part of Chile were you in? Um, I was in the, so I was in a town called Talca, which is a very okay. small town, and it, but it, I was in like the uh, center central valley of Chile, so just three hours south of Santiago. Santiago, okay. I don't remember what part of Chile he was in, but yeah, he he said he was. We would be in an apartment building, and the building itself would like sway back and forth. And he's from Puerto Rico, and he was totally freaked out. And he's like, "What is happening? Is everything okay?" And then his friend would just walk from one side of the apartment to the other, say, "Would you like some coffee?" Like totally unfazed. It was just he said it was just a wild experience that like his friend was so relaxed and not even concerned, not even acknowledging the fact that the building was moving. It's crazy. Yeah, I think in Chile <laughs> they are definitely used to it. The, the yeah. biggest ever earthquake in history recorded happened in Chile. And yeah. so they have a lot of earthquakes there. And I mean, when the buildings move like that, that's yeah. actually the safe thing because if a building can't move with it, then it's going to become damaged. So I believe, for example, wooden buildings are good for earthquakes. I believe that stone or uh, brick is not so good because that's mm. going to be very dangerous. And, and yeah, so earthquakes, <laughs> uh, I guess you, you can't plan for them, you know, like it's, I guess you can you can make your buildings out of wood and you can you know, thinking about design here like trying to prevent yeah. disaster from a design perspective that's about all you can do because there's no way that they can ever predict an earthquake and 
in fact, my city, Wellington, is due for a catastrophic level earthquake, and it has been for a long time. Really? And so, yeah, uh, like the other one that I told you about, like it was a big one, but it wasn't like like a super earthquake. But there are super earthquakes that do happen, and they've mm-hmm. I think they've been able to track them throughout history. Like there was one that happened then, 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 and it's like every fifty years or something, or every eighty years, mm-hmm. and it's been like. It's been like a hundred years. So like we're kind of like 20 years overdue for our next big one and it hasn't happened yet. So, and like these kind of earthquakes are the ones that lift up pieces of land. Like there used to be this part of my city that was an island, but it's no longer an island because of an earthquake and the the land was connected between it through an earthquake. So that's the kind of forces we're talking here in, in very big earthquakes. Yeah. And and yeah, I think that the the Japanese, because uh, obviously Japan has a lot of earthquakes yeah. too. They they believe that earthquakes were caused by a gigantic spider moving underneath the earth. Really? <laughs> I think that's I think that's uh, what they used to believe. I have to confirm I can that. I see that. But, uh, <laughs> like in mythology, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Um. Uh. Are tornadoes uh, common where you're from? There have been some tornadoes, not like in Tornado Alley in the US, but yeah. like I've seen some twisters like on the water and there was a tornado that went through a small town yeah. in New Zealand near where I live and it caused pretty big damage. But like the tornadoes that I imagine are like the ones you see on YouTube or like on those TV shows where it's like a massive storm, like it's literally miles long. Whereas the one in New Zealand, I think was like maybe, it was probably just like a baby one <laughs> compared yeah. to what you guys face. Uh, I know that you guys have like those uh, tornado like shelters under the houses. That would be pretty exciting to go into one of those. <laughs> I remember um, uh, I was talking with somebody who wasn't from the US and like wasn't from a place where there were tornadoes. And um, I looked up at the the sky and I was like, oh, I don't like that. And he said, why? And I'm like, the sky is green. I don't like the, that the sky is green. And he said, what does it mean that the sky is green? And I'm like, you don't know? Like if the sky is like kind of greenish, it's more likely there's like going to be a tornado. And he said, what? what is your life? Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and I'm like, I thought this was like common knowledge. But yeah, um, I don't know. It's, uh, that's what I was taught by my mom. Like, if the sky is green, then maybe you should get in the basement. <laughs> but maybe that was just, like, wow. my upbringing. Well, now I know what color palette I'm going to use for my next tornado website. <laughs> pale green. <laughs> Absolutely. I I did want to ask you um, uh, my, my favorite question that, that I ask anybody. Um, I wanted to ask you that, like, so we were talking about you when you were younger, but um, when you were a little kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? Ah, uh, I remember you asked this question. Yeah, this is your question. My favorite question. <laughs> <laughs> so I think like most kids, I wanted to be a few things. My first early, yeah, one of my first memories was wanting to be be a soldier because my other great-grandfather on my mother's side he was in World War II and he was a an engineer. So I really, my my grandma said that when I was a kid, 
I was, there was like this photo album of my great grandfather. He'd already died by that point. And she said that I wrote in the back of the book, this kind of like note to him, this, like I might've been maybe eight or nine or something. I was pretty young. And she said, I wrote this sort of like promised him saying that I was going to grow up and be an engineer just like he was. And, and she said she found it like, this is like, I think a couple of years ago, she found it. She's like, oh, this is like so cute. Like this is, I'm sure this is like, it's signed by you. So you wrote it. And I was like, oh, wow, that's interesting. So I'm sure I want it to be other things as well. But that's the first thing that really like stuck out to me is, yeah, I wanted to be in the army and I wanted to be doing some sort of like mechanical thing. I, when I was a kid, I was always obsessed with playing armies with my cousin. We'd just spin camo, go into the bush and like just play war. We went into making survival kits and doing bushcraft. And yeah. those, I have a lot of very happy memories going to my cousin's house and playing. Uh, we, would, we would play with army figurines as well and set up battles, then go and reenact them in real life in, in the park near his house. So, so yeah, I, I always loved the outdoors and and uh, a lot of lot of tramping and hiking in New Zealand as well. So, uh, part of me, oh, another thing that I wanted to be was a wildlife photographer. Really, very randomly, I, I was watching. So, my when when my parents split up when I was six, mm-hmm. uh, my mum's new partner. I went to go and stay well i was living there like one week on one week off and he was quite wealthy so he had sky tv so like that was like the the that had all the the cool channels on it and i'd never watched sky tv before so i was like oh i can watch like the the true crime channel i can watch like (laughs) uh documentaries like all this cool stuff and yeah i loved this channel called animal planet um, yeah. it's probably in the u.s as well yeah animal planet so yeah. i used to love watching animal planet and nat geo and there was this one show about this guy it's just random memory i have but i remember watching the show about this guy who was camping out in this sort of like it's like a like like a tent but it's it's standing up quite tall and it's got a place for him to sleep it was made of wood so it was like semi-permanent and he was just there for like weeks trying to get a photo of a deer or something <laughs> really for some reason that sounded really fun to me back then <laughs> and, uh, and so i was like i want to do wildlife photography then and uh and so that, that was something else i wanted to do yeah how how do you remember talking to your mom about that interest like talking about like like gushing about this show because I re- I remember uh, like the way that I would talk about stuff to my parents at at young ages about stuff I was excited about. Yeah, and I did tell her I'm pretty sure, and like any mother, she would be like, yeah, like very very supportive, like yeah, good on you, like like yeah, <laughs> it, it's uh it's funny, like my my dad is like the complete opposite. He's very realist and like very. And it's like the perfect balance because mum is like overly supportive. My mm-hmm. dad is like supportive, but he's in a more challenging way. Like if if I tell my dad, like, I want to be this thing, he'd be like, I'll believe it when I see it, you know, like mm-hmm. he, was, he would, 
here's an interesting memory I do have of, of my dad where I was, I think I was 11 and in my primary school. So this would have been like uh, junior high, maybe in the US where once we got to the junior high level, would still be in the same school. So same as primary, they don't separate us till we get to high school. And when you do your last two years, so junior high, we would go to do technology classes at this other school. So we'd drive in the big bus together, all the kids, and would go for the, this is for two weeks at the start of the year and two weeks at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. And you can do, there's like, woodwork class there's sewing there's art class there's cooking class it was really good actually to to go there and do those classes and oh god i just forgot why i was telling the story yeah, <laughs> uh, we yeah. went to tech and oh yeah yeah i i remember so i was in sewing class and we had to yeah. just we had to decide on what is our project going to be what are we going to make and what are we going to sew and I just got for my birthday a bow and arrow. And so I was very, very happy about this. And I wanted to make what's called a quiver, which is like the thing you keep the arrows in. Mm-hmm. And so I was really excited. I went uh, home and I was like, dad, I know what I'm going to make for, for, for sewing class. And he was like, what is it? And I was like, I'm going to make a quiver for the arrows. <laughs> and, and my dad uh, said, uh, I, I believe his words were, you never make that quiver. Like he just totally, like very directly, just said really? bullshit, basically. And oh, like, yeah. and and he he says now he feels really bad about saying that, but actually, like it had a really positive impact on me because there was no way I wasn't coming back from technology without <laughs> to prove him wrong. And so yeah, that kind of illustrates the difference between my dad and my mom is that they both love me, but my. My, my dad definitely provokes me and challenges me to be better in like a more mm. direct way, more confronting way, which is what I think a father should do. So, so yeah, when I, when I probably told him about uh, <laughs> being a wildlife photographer, he probably would have said like, okay, like whatever. <laughs> but we'll see. We'll, and then I turned out to be a designer and I, I didn't know what I was going to be for a very long time. Like mm-hmm. I, I never would have thought I would have been a designer. Definitely not. Cause I would have said things like, but I'm not creative. I'm not artistic. I, I mean, at that point I wasn't even passionate about business, but mm-hmm. I think, and when I even started design, it wasn't my passion either. It's, it's interesting. Like I, I was interested in design. I wanted to build websites because uh, I wanted to build a blog. And my first memory of web design was coming back from my exchange in Chile and I wanted to build a blog and it was really hard in WordPress. I was trying to customize this theme <laughs> and I was absolutely hating WordPress. And so I basically gave up trying to build my blog. And then I eventually found Webflow two years later when I was, mm-hmm. I can't remember how I found it. I think I was just watching YouTube and uh, then I basically Webflow got me into doing design because it's like, well, now I can build websites with this amazing tool. I want to yeah. be able to design things as well. Ooh. And so is my sound the same as before? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's good. Cool. Yeah. I was so excited. I just smacked my microphone. <laughs> You're all good. Um, <laughs> and yeah, so I guess my point here is like, 
I was for a very long time worried that I wasn't going to find my passion because mm -hmm. when I was a, can you imagine me? I was 18 and I had no passions really. Like I was, I knew, okay. And I, I had been overseas. So let's just say I, I, I was 17 and I was just finishing high school. I was like, I don't really know what I want to do for a job. I, I'm not really like hugely artistic. Uh, I wasn't even doing martial arts at this point. I wasn't designing. I wasn't interested in business. And like I was saying near the start, there was this turning point for me where I started to like business. And then I started to study development and design. And I built a lot of passion for design and development just by learning it and getting better at it. And I think for a lot of people who are trying to figure out their careers and even if you know you want to do design already, maybe you want to switch to something else or maybe you want to go into a specific type of design. I think that like there's no, there's no, there, there's nothing wrong with doing something that isn't necessarily your passion. Like you didn't have to be a gifted artist to be a designer. You can get a lot mm -hmm. of passion and a lot of fulfillment out of learning design because it is something that can be learned. And mm -hmm. certainly my case where my stepmom was for many years, a full-time artist. And mm -hmm. so she was very creative and I considered myself someone as someone who's not creative at all because I can't draw. <laughs> it's, it's so funny. Like, ah, uh, creativity is drawing or painting. <laughs> it's so much more than that. Mm -hmm. Like, and, and, and so, and so, yeah, I was lost for a while of what my passion was, but I built the passion myself. It wasn't like I found it. I sort of built it by learning design and seeing results from that and being able to earn money from that and provide for myself through that. And so putting away, like letting this back to become, becoming an engineer in the army or becoming mm -hmm. a wildlife photographer, those things I believe make great hobbies and they can be your passions because design can pay the bills. And I, I'm a total workaholic. So I can happily work 12 hours a day on design and still want to keep working seven days a week. I love my job. But I think if I was really passionate about, say, jujitsu, which I am, I wouldn't want to make that my career. I want to keep that. I want to keep my relationship with that passion uh, away from money and away from needing to make money. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah, I guess that's my, that's something I've thought about a lot is where does passion come from? Sometimes you just find it in something, which is great. Nothing wrong with that, but sometimes you can actually build it by, by just learning a skill and improving in that skill. So for me, that was design. And when you were around like that age that you were feeling kind of lost and you weren't really quite sure where you were going to go post high school, that was like 18, 19 years old, I'm guessing. Yes, yeah. I had, I had a bit of an idea. So when I, when, when I was 18, uh, I, I turned 18 in Chile. Then after that, I came back to New Zealand. I did, I did an extra year of high school because that year I did away, I didn't get my university like entrance because mm. my studies in Chile didn't count for university. So I had to go back and do one year of study, which I was fine with. 
-hmm. And then I went into university the year after. And this is when I was, I wanted to become a diplomat. Okay. So this was me thinking, okay, I want to travel and work. And what jobs can empower me with, with this superpower, basically? And mm. I was not, I was not smart enough to think about, oh, I could just be a developer or something like that <laughs> or a marketer. I was like, I, I, the only job that makes sense is a diplomat because like, it's just, it's just very short sighted thinking from my side. But I was in that point, I was very convinced that I wanted to join the New Zealand foreign service. I wanted to be working in an embassy overseas. And then that would be my ticket to the international lifestyle. Mm. And so what I did was, is I started learning Portuguese. This is before I even knew about my Brazilian exchange. And I went to the Brazilian embassy of Wellington and I just rocked up, I was going up the elevator, had Google Translate on my phone. I was like, I want to learn Portuguese. Like literally I just went to the <laughs> front desk and the lady there was like, okay. And she's like kind of confused this. She goes inside and brings, comes out with this guy who was solo and became one of my good friends. Uh, he was a diplomat, kind of a diplomat, like a foreign service worker from Brazil and living mm -hmm. in Wellington. And I, I was 18 and Salo was like in his 30s. So it was like my first time hanging out with someone who was like quite a lot older than me, but mm -hmm. it was really cool because he treated me like an adult and we would hang out. I'd go to his apartment. We would practice Portuguese. I got uh, partying, clubbing with him and his friends. And so it was a really cool experience. And I, I've also forgotten why I was saying this. No, <laughs> um, no, yeah. I believe, I believe it was something to do with, uh, oh yeah. So, so one thing that Seller really helped me in was getting my exchange scholarship to Brazil. And cause I'm, not an A student. I was never really good at school, never really motivated at university. And so to get my, to get the scholarship, I, I was like, there's not really much chance of me getting this, but I'm going to apply for it anyway. We'll just roll the dice. And so I said to Salo, could you do my reference for the scholarship? And he was like, yeah, sure. And I didn't actually look at what he wrote, but I, because it's sort of private, like they they send a letter to this person and it's like a reference. But afterwards I was able to see the letter. And so I got the scholarship and I was like, like, how did this, like, I'm so lucky, what happened? And Salo had basically, uh, he had like sponsored me on behalf of the embassy. So basically he had got the embassy to like stamp this uh, application wow. form of mine to be officially basically signed off by the, the embassy. And so I was like, oh my God, that like totally changed my life. Got that, to get that experience and the luck I had to be endorsed by the embassy was, it was amazing. So I guess it goes back to, to I still can't remember where the, that train of thought came from, but it's all about taking taking initiative to try and, put yourself in positions that most normal people wouldn't be in. So mm -hmm. most people wouldn't go to the embassy and just try and make friends with the diplomats there. But when you do do things that regular people don't think of, then you start to 
get access to opportunities that that really that you would never have thought possible it's like with your podcast you know like mm-hmm. most people don't start a podcast and how many things have happened to you because of the podcast that have been amazing oh it's like it saved my ass so many times <laughs> like i don't know yeah. i can't even tell you like um uh you and i are very similar in in like some of these these thought patterns and stuff like that and we're also like we're the same age right we're i'm i'm 24 right now yeah same yeah yeah and um i don't know i'm looking back on things that i've done i think like the way that i phrase it to people is i don't know what possessed me to do it at that time period but somehow something in me knew it was the right thing to do and it was totally like yes. out of left field like it was totally random like you going to the embassy just be like yeah why not like for me the thing recently that i did was um i so i work at zipcar now and um i made a youtube video about how interesting i thought zipcar was like a year prior to getting the job there and i i just i don't know what possessed me to do this i just made this little youtube video and um I was talking about how interesting and intuitive I thought it was. I wasn't expecting anything. I don't know why I needed to make this video, but I did. And then I reached out to the people at Zipcar asking them permission if I could post it and that I got on their radar and then just kept on posting about the podcast connected with all these people on LinkedIn. I stayed in their mind. And then when they needed somebody, they were like, she really is passionate about the product. Let's bring her on. And I think I was probably like one of the first people that they interviewed. But yeah, it's just like weird things. Like, I don't know why I have a podcast. I don't know. It's just, I felt like I needed to do it. I felt like I needed to meet people. It got me jobs. Like, I don't know. Like there's something about um, uh, uh, just doing something with no agenda just because you want to that brings you so many things that you're not expecting. And people recommend you for things. People introduce you to new experiences. So it's just some of the stories that you tell me, I'm like, wow, you and I think similarly, even though I don't think I would ever walk into a ring, but maybe that's just personal preference. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I I, um, uh, I see a lot of uh, um, uh, familiarity in a lot of the stuff that you, you say. Yeah, just like creating content is amazing. Like, yeah. I've I've been making YouTube videos now for nearly a year. Not super re- like I would say doing a video every few weeks at at minimum, and then doing once a week was what I was doing, even twice a week. And it's just building the habit mm-hmm. and practicing it. And I've now learned so many skills just through making YouTube videos, like video editing, how to speak better. I, I really want to improve my speaking. Because I've had lots of trouble trying to speak clearly in my life, but making YouTube videos has helped me with that a lot. And also, when you learn to edit your own videos, and then you can learn to design websites, you have so much power because you have like a. I would compare it to. I, I have this analogy that I tell my friends, and it's like if you can design and you can develop, you're the equivalent of someone in the dark ages that can read and write. Because mm. if you imagine someone who's in you know, the knights and castles time where less than 2% of people could read or write mm. and it's like less than 0.5% could, 
could like do both reading and writing at the same time. Like it was, it was rare. And so that person could write their thoughts down on a piece of paper and they could send it to someone in a different city. So already they have extra power to communicate because they can transport their, their knowledge across borders. But also that piece of paper, they, they can write a book and after they're dead, their, their knowledge and their thoughts can transcend time because now they're dead, but their thoughts live on. And so these people were extremely powerful in, in those days. Now, the same thing transfers over to today where, okay, everyone can read and write, but if you can develop and design, then you can build platforms to share your opinions and you can actually reach a lot more people. You can be a lot more influential. And then adding onto that, being able to create podcasts or videos, it's just, you have such a big platform to grow. You have so much potential that it's, it's amazing. Like, like if I want to start an e-commerce company, I can, I've got all the tools to do that. If, if I want to <laughs> yeah. start this other company or start an agency, like I can just like, all I've got to do is decide to do it and then start getting to work. Cause when I was trying to do my blog before now for me, building a blog is so easy, but back then it seemed like the hardest thing in the world. I just could <laughs> not get it to just come together. So it's it's amazing how far you can come with with a lot of determination and of course a good platform like Webflow. Uh, yeah. I think it's it's wild. Like I I've had so many experiences where something seems like it's the hardest thing in the world, and then maybe even a matter of months pass or, or years pass, like not a long period of time, and you just immediately start going like oh my gosh, my perspective is totally different. Like that thing that used to like make me feel nauseous or or like make me feel nervous, like that's not scary at all anymore. And it's just very strange. Um, and so like now when I go into things that scare me a little bit, um, something that I tell myself or something I tell my friends is um, it's only scary because you haven't done it yet. Remember that. <laughs> and that that's really helped me kind of um, uh, go into new things. Like, You've done scary things before. This is also scary. It won't be scary forever, but it's only scary because you haven't done it yet. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> totally. It's um I think being scared is you you, you know you're challenging yourself as, as as long as it's in a healthy context. Like yeah. there's definitely times where it's not good to be scared or not good to be stressed, but you know, they say pressure creates diamonds. And so we need to remind ourselves that, okay, we like our comfort zones, but we need to be pushing ourselves. We need to be mm -hmm. developing ourselves because if we stand that comfort zone forever, we're not going to grow. We're going to end up becoming complacent. And I'm at a point in my life where I'm, I'm still young. I'm still developing a lot. And it's so important for me to always be trying to grow and becoming like the best version of myself. It sounds very self-helpy, which <laughs> obviously is also uh, good to look at a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. But I think a lot of my friends, like lo looking back on the, the, the decisions they've made, they've taken too many of the easy paths, you know, like, oh, uh, I could have taken that risk to do this thing, but I couldn't be bothered. And 
like one of the biggest risks I took was going full freelance and not many people can stomach the fact that you don't know when your next paycheck is coming or when, you know, what happens if there's no clients and yeah, it is tough. But now I know that if I ever work a job again, that I've actually gone that extra mile to try freelancing and it's been an amazing journey. And, and yeah, I, I think it's not for everybody, but it, it's kind of like the, the special forces of, 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 of work. It's like, you're going out there, you're finding <laughs> the work, you're sort of like, <laughs> it's the extreme sports. Mm -hmm. So I have a different kind of respect for freelancers that really have found success. And I definitely, I definitely believe like one day I'm going to be a successful freelancer right mm -hmm. now. I'm growing, I'm young, but one day I, I really do believe that I could even build an agency. We're going to see where things go, but um, <laughs> it's been a great journey so far and there's a long, lot more path ahead of me. When I think about like 18 year old Finn, uh who came back from the trip and like you're i'm sure there's like even some like reverse culture shock like i i was like so independent and i kind of had like my own life and now i i go home and and also like what are my passions what do i want to do with my life like what kind of career do i want like when you think about that version of yourself um do you think there's anything that you would have said to that that guy if you could think about him as like a person separate from yourself with all that, you know, now, like, is there anything that you would say not to change the past, but just like, I don't know if you had a conversation with him. Like advice. Um, let me think. I would say, I would say to trust your judgment when mm. your gut feeling is telling you that there's something to this, like, you're thinking about going to the embassy to roll the dice and just be like, what if I meet someone cool here? I had a gut feeling and I trusted it. There's probably been other times where I had a gut feeling and I didn't trust it. And uh, who knows what I would have missed out on. I'm not going to regret anything, but I do think that if I hadn't gone to the embassy that day, my life would be completely different because mm when when something sets you on such a different course in life as in you go to live somewhere for one year there's no way that your life could be the same as it was if you hadn't gone because in brazil i met a lot of my connections that i know here in europe like my friend daniel who uh, lives in portugal and a lot of other friends and so in some ways just such a, in in the split second that you decide screw it, I'm going to do that thing, even though it's scary or it's it's not normal, it's not part of my routine. It's It can sometimes lead you to an amazing, an, an amazing place. And so, yeah, what I would have said to myself at 18, I would have been like, look, man, you, you, you know deep down what the right thing is to do. You just have to trust your gut and then just do it. You know, don't worry about the outcomes of looking like, being embarrassed because you don't speak Portuguese, but you're going there to ask to like learn. So why are you embarrassed? And it's like, oh, okay, maybe I shouldn't be embarrassed. <laughs> so a lot of, we have this like negative self-talk a lot where you don't, 
you seem to talk yourself out of doing things or taking opportunities that don't really have much downfall, but your, your brain is like predisposed to choosing the path that's most familiar and the most uh, predictable outcome. But that path also seems to be the one that leads to mediocrity, which if you're okay with that, you know, it's fine. But if you want to have these unique experiences and have a unique life, you can't be doing the same thing that everyone else is doing. You've got to make your, make your own path and take, take the road less traveled. Some, what is this okay. the path this traveled, the road less traveled? Robert Frost, yeah. I don't know, the, yeah. the poet. That was one of the, we, we studied American poets when I was in primary school and that was one of the poems we did. And that's one of my favorite poems ever, like the road less really? traveled. And I think that's what Frost is talking about there that I can't remember the exact, the rest of the verses, but what I took from that poem is that there is, even though the road less traveled is a little bit more dirty, it's a little bit more rugged, there's something fun in it. There's, there's something, there's merit to that, the satisfaction at the end. So that's what I think about my life so far is, and I could keep going with stories and all the stuff, but the moral of it for me and what I'm going to be taking going forwards is that to keep growing and to keep having this awesome life, I've got to remain open to these opportunities because one day I'm going to be, you know, settled down, married, and I'm going to be having a family. And I want to be at a point where I have the knowledge to impart to my family and to friends, you know, here's what I've learned. I've been there and I've done that. I don't want to be living with any regrets. Yeah. I, I think that the advice that you would have given to your younger self would have been probably exactly what you needed to hear at that time. And, and, and you did that. Um, I don't know. I think, yeah, like the, the, the negative self-talk and like the, the self-rejection thing, I think is the thing that a lot of people deal with and have to like unprogram like oh well why, why do I do that because I might look stupid or um I feel <laughs> like people are so much harsher on themselves than they are on other people um and I have to remind myself of totally. that a lot of the time yeah because like I don't know I, I was talking to somebody the other day and um they were talking about how they were nervous about something because uh they they didn't want to seem disrespectful or in a certain situation uh, then they were uncomfortable and I was thinking like if somebody else was like hosting you or if somebody else was taking care of you like how do I phrase this in the right way like if I if I was in like the position of power and I was hosting somebody like I would want them to feel comfortable I want them to be happy like if they told me that they were uncomfortable or something like that like I'd be super welcoming to them I wouldn't judge them I wouldn't like feel like they were like taking up my time or bothering me and it's so funny that like when you're in that position you think that you're bothering everybody you think that like everything's embarrassing meanwhile if you just imagine yourself in the switched positions um like it's it's just very uh a surprising thought process if am I making any sense in the way that I'm saying this yeah I, I think you're referring to like 
there is a psychological term called the spotlight effect where mm. everything from your perspective, because you view reality from you know your eyes and your place, that you misjudge it that everybody else has the same sort of uh, perception like onto you. So it's like, oh, I'm me. So everyone else must know what I'm thinking or be looking at what I'm doing or be judging my actions. Whereas in reality, everyone else is doing the exact same thing. They're already worried about what you're thinking of them. So mm -hmm. you can kind of do something like you might be in a room where you think everyone's looking at you and you could do something like, I don't know, a little bit crazy. And probably a lot of people wouldn't even notice because they're too worried about themselves. And so, and I think one thing that I would tell myself as well when I was 18 would be to, and this is like really cliche, but it's care less about what people think mm -hmm. because you notice, one thing you notice about older people, your, your grandparents, is that they give less of a shit than, <laughs> than you do about a lot of things. And my... And I think it's just when you get older, you have more life experience. You realize how much of life is just, it's, it's like a game. It's kind of like, you know, we're, we're here and, you know, whatever you believe what happens after death, we should take advantage of this moment and not let others restrict us because they're going to judge us. If you want to do something, just go and do it. And so, because I think Gary V talks about this thing where you can, you could go to uh, an old person's home and ask people like talk to them about their lives and you'll find so much regret in people that I should have done this one thing. And I think you're doing yourself a very big favor when you stop caring about what even your parents would think or what, you know, your friends, your teachers would think what society would think. It's like, well, let's make smart decisions, but like, like let's not do something super crazy. That's going to hurt others, but mm -hmm. let's have the confidence to choose the best path for ourselves, even though it's not necessarily the career that your parents wanted for you or what, uh, maybe you're meant to grow up in your town and not leave, but actually you decided to leave because you had curiosity about the outside world. Mm -hmm. And and so these things, if you're doing these things, then you at least know that when you're on your deathbed, you're going to have less regrets, which I think is a really good thing. <laughs> I think that's the goal at the end, like for you to be able to look back and say like, you know what? I was a human. I made mistakes, but overall, <laughs> I think I did this, this run pretty well. <laughs> yeah. And you have stories to tell your grandkids and <laughs> you can actually have knowledge to to impart on them and i mean i'm no way qualified to be talking about this <laughs> like when i'm in my 60s then i'm an old man i'm like okay yeah i can tell <laughs> i can start spitting that wisdom but as <laughs> uh you know i can't really give out life advice as a 24 year old but there i have learned i've definitely learned a lot in my 24 years because i've tried to take every opportunity that's come my way and just live it, you know, like mm -hmm. live it and learn from it and feel it. And 
so yeah, there's been a lot of those moments and there's obviously a lot more to come. But the future does seem kind of a bit, I guess for me, a little bit opaque where mm -hmm. I don't necessarily know where I'm going to be living. Mm -hmm. Part of me wants to be living with my family in New Zealand and Australia. So I've considered moving to the Gold Coast where my brother and my mother live now. And there I'm going to be very close to my family because in Europe, I've got friends here and I've got some distant relatives in England, but not my family family. They're all back mm -hmm. on the other side of the world. And so I'm kind of divided where it's like, okay, I've taken this, this big, I wouldn't say risk, but I've taken this big step to come to move to Europe. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. But I do feel this connection to my family and it, it kind of breaks my heart a little bit to think that, oh, I might only see my dad twice a year. Like that's not very much at all. Mm -hmm. And I'm very close with my family. So I, I'm thinking about, you know, I can at least travel and work and I can still work for my clients and live anywhere. So mm -hmm. why not with my family in the same country? So that's like to be decided yet, but Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, <clears throat> I I was in a very similar situation, uh, and kind of e even still am. Like I I remember waking up. Uh, my my birthday was um October tenth, and right now it's like February tenth. Um, so pretty recently, I remember waking up on my twenty fourth birthday, and then thinking because I I hadn't had the job yet, I hadn't had anything yet. I was just like a blank slate, like uh, just. Yeah. living by myself uh, just confused not knowing what's going to happen um everything in my life previous to that was like just totally different now and i remember waking up and being like i have no idea where i'm gonna live three months from now i have no idea where i'm gonna be working like all of this stuff is just so up in the air and it was just such a unique thing because usually people are like, go, go, go. Like everything is planned. And I literally for like three months had to just sit there with my thoughts, with like, yeah. <laughs> just like trying to figure it out, interviewing, like just introducing myself to people. It was such a unique period in my life. And I still don't know most things. Like, I don't know where I'm going to be living at the end of next year. No clue but um i think that's just part of this chapter in your life where it's just so there's so much uncertainty and it's like that's just kind of like the way it is and um <laughs> maybe maybe i'll look back on this like when i'm um i don't know in my 40s or 50s and uh think like wow that was like such a serendipitous time in my life so so just spontaneous things and and so much surprise but um yeah, I think I'm just trying to enjoy it in the moment. Like maybe, maybe same with you. Yeah. Do you have any plans to visit Europe? Um, actually, yeah, I do want to talk to you about that. I my my one of my best friends is a UX researcher. She also works remotely, and so we we're thinking about going to Europe for three weeks. Um, in the beginning of the summer. So oh, wow. yeah, that's a great I, time I'll, to come. <laughs> I will talk to you a little bit more about that off air. But um, off air, it's not, it's just so not official. Um, <laughs> I'll talk to you directly about that. But yeah, we were thinking, um, the places that we were thinking about are actually pretty close to you. So we'll, we'll keep you in the loop on where we are. Yeah. 
<laughs> we'll keep that top secret classified information off the air. <laughs> off the air. I don't know why. Don't I said want people that. turning up to your trip. So pretentious. <laughs> yeah. But um, but yeah. So I'll I'll talk to you about that. But um, but yeah. Uh, how do you feel? Like we we just did two hours, and and it did not feel like that at all. It felt like fifteen minutes to me. I don't know about, about you. <laughs> Yeah, my, my mouth has held up like with the water content, like before I was getting a bit dry, but this five <laughs> liters, uh, most of the five liters are still here. Yeah, so Which you're doing okay? Is, <laughs> I'm trying to calculate <laughs> liters to gallons in my head. Uh, <laughs> do, do you guys know how much a liter is roughly? Um, yeah, like a two liter bottle. That's like what you would get Coca-Cola in. <laughs> it's yeah, the most yeah, American kind of like... response. <laughs> so how many cokes is that? <laughs> how many cokes? Yeah, when I wait, when uh, um somebody that I know says uh um yeah, so I I was a uh, a couple meters away. Oh, sorry, sorry, one fiftieth football fields away. <laughs> like <laughs> he was like in your American union units, one fiftieth football field. <laughs> that, that does not. It actually makes it harder. To <laughs> yeah. But, but, um, um, but yeah, it didn't seem like two hours at all, actually. It was went really, really well for me. Thank you. I'm not like a... I've tried to define my personality. Like, am I an introvert? Am I an extrovert? I think I'm an ambivert because normally mm. I don't talk that much. And mm. so going to podcasts is like, well, I'm going to be doing a lot of talking. And so going to prepare for this and <laughs> it honestly went really well you've been a very nice host and obviously you have experience with uh you know creating a very a welcoming and relaxing environment i felt very relaxed the whole time which is which is great and and yeah like this is one of the this is another one of those really cool life experiences that i was talking about is being able to come and do a podcast with you is really is really special and like i guess tying things into the end uh, sorry to the start where i was talking about listening to the podcast while cleaning vacuuming my dad's car is uh it's kind of like almost coming full circle in a way like for me to be able to go and guest on your podcast after i listened to it this must have been like a year ago a year and a half ago even because when did you launch the podcast officially? Um, twenty twenty. The I think uh, June of twenty twenty. Uh, June of twenty twenty one. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. So that's been it's been going for a while <laughs> now. So <laughs> it's, yeah, it's really cool that you're still doing it, and like it's it's a, like such a big honor to have been able to guess with you. So very glad that I met you that that night in, in San Francisco. It was quite a cold night, wasn't it? Went yeah. to that to that restaurant and they wouldn't let us split the bill between 15 people. So uh, thanks. Shout out to the Real Room guys for picking it up. <laughs> Thank you. That's very kind. Yeah. It was like just the like the group of people having, you know, Connor, Nikolai, you know, Jomo design, like all these cool people that I'd seen online. I was like, wow, you guys are all at a table having food and like we're just chilling together. 
getting to meet like Grand Cigar was really cool as well. Mm -hmm. The Flux meetup. And I had this really funny experience at Webflow Conference. This is a good story to end on because uh, it's a Webflow story. Mm -hmm. And I was sitting down watching Ron's talk and halfway through the talk, this guy sits next to me, real like uh, low-key guy, just was like, oh, he's probably just another designer. And after the talk finishes, uh, he starts talking to me and he was really friendly. So he started talking. He was asking me about what I did. So I was telling him about, I'm a freelancer, UX designer. And then I asked him like, so what do you do? And like, he, he shows me his like lanyard and it says co-founder. He's like, oh, I'm co-founder of Webflow. And it was so oh, really? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, oh, no way. <laughs> this is, wow. And I just it took me completely off guard because he was so just down to earth. And yeah. that's what I love about, you know, the whole Webflow community, but also just that event was everyone was so down to earth and friendly. And I, I'm definitely going to be at another Webflow conference. I'm not mm -hmm. sure if it'll be this, could be this year. It depends what I'm doing, where I am in the world. But mm -hmm. it was an amazing experience. And also it was where I met you. So I'm very, very lucky to have. And that was the decision as well. Connor Finlayson, he invited me. He said, hey, I'm going to be going to Webflow conference. Do you want to come? And I was like, oh, I could say no, but I could also say yes. <laughs> and then, and like, yes is often a good idea. And and so I did. And the rest is, is history. I'm so glad you came. I'm so glad, like, the, 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 what you were saying to me about the podcast was really kind. Thank you. I, I, um, I don't know. I I say this often, but um, this is like my favorite thing to do. Um, sitting down for two hours because I I don't know what it is, but I just feel like I'm getting a gift of like like listening to a story and and like like see like I knew you beforehand, but it's like seeing the different parts of your personality, like what things are connected and and like I don't know, just like hearing all these stories about your life. It's like very much um a gift for you to like share this with me especially it's so different because it's two hours uninterrupted when when we were at that dinner um with everybody and and we got to to meet everybody somebody asked me they said how many people in this room have you done podcasts with and I was like pointing out all of these different people it must have been like eight people or something like that and then it was like a little bit of an emotional moment for me because I I had this like strong emotional connection with all of them like I knew about their childhoods I knew about all these things I deeply cared for these people and just like to see them in 3d just like chilling <laughs> and, yeah. and like within like I could give them a hug like there was something that was so special for me and so um uh I know that if I were to see you again at, at WebflowConf or something else in person or something like that like I'll, I'll be very very excited to see you so this was really wonderful. And thank you for giving me two hours of your time. Yeah, thank you. And very glad to be here. And looking forward to catching up in person, of course, with mm -hmm. the top secret Euro trip. So <laughs> we'll, we'll make sure to, 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 to plan something really cool. Yeah, And yeah, thank you sure. again. Thanks so much. <laughs> and um, last thing before we go, um, uh, if somebody's listening to this and they want to like maybe reach out to you to say hi or follow you somewhere what would be the best way for them to do that 
So where I create my content is on YouTube. So you can mm -hmm. just type in my name, Finn Dolomore, to, to YouTube and you'll find my Muay Thai fight. But if you scroll, <laughs> probably one under that will be my YouTube channel. And so after you've watched my fight, you can you can subscribe <laughs> to me there. And I, I post content for designers. And if you want to reach out to me directly, then you can get in touch with me on probably Instagram. My Instagram handle is findol, F-I-N-N-D-O-L. And so literally Instagram, uh, I'm not super active on like I, I will get back to you, but I can sometimes be not on my phone so much, but, and if there's also my portfolio website as well. So findolamore.com and LinkedIn. So there, there's a bunch of platforms there. So if anybody does want to reach out, I would be honored. And I also love making new friends. If anybody's in either Portugal or Spain or the UK, like this part of the world, I would mm -hmm. love to meet other designers, other web for developers. And I'm the kind of guy that, you know, if I would actually come to your country to see you and to do something cool. Like, hey, I, I love adventures. So uh, yeah, happy to meet anybody and would love to make some new friends. I'll, I'll make sure that all of that, all the spelling, all the links are in the description so people can just like go into this episode and then click and go. So, um, and and if anybody like, wants to reach out to you i hope that they say emily told me to say hi i don't know and then if you get that i want you to let me know <laughs> yeah. i think that'd be funny give you the yeah. <laughs> extra points extra points for emily <laughs> well this was really really lovely and i hope you have a great rest of your night what what time is it where, where you are right now is it really late or really early uh it's 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 just gone 10 10 past 12 okay gotcha so it's late but yeah. luckily it's a it's a friday night here so yeah like i wouldn't like i am talking quite loudly but it is <laughs> it's a friday night so yeah and people have stuck through it now so they can have their peace <laughs> finally <laughs> but, well i uh, hope you but, have a, yeah. i hope you have a great rest of your night and I, I hope that like this is just goodbye until next time and i will see you again at some point and uh yeah it's just goodbye until next time Thanks for talking to Emily.